welcome to Epiphany Fellowship's podcast, where our goal is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. We pray that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message and will allow the Word of God to dwell in you richly. Lord for our worship team. You know the cross is absolutely enough. Absolutely enough. How many have been blessed by the rebrand series? Rebrand series. Been blessed by that. Um, want to uh, again honor our pastor in his absence for uh, for his vision and for uh, just the, our ability to represent. Right, we represented manhood last week and. And I'm excited to say we're going to represent womanhood this week. So, uh, got a uh, got a preview of date. One of the benefits of going to all the services, you get to see that, uh, hear that word twice, and you're in, you're in for a treat, a real treat. A word today from uh, some of the women that lead uh, faithfully in uh, Epiphany Fellowship. Um, it's my honor to introduce the uh, the women on the today's panel, Dr. Tiffany Gill, uh, Sister Mary Johnson. Sister Amanda Baker, Sister Courtney Dunlap, my personal rib, Dr. Sarita Lyons. Good morning. Good morning, Epiphany. Praise the Lord. So good to be in the house today. And I want to just echo the sentiment that we are so thankful and privileged to be a part of a rebrand series. Uh, and today we get to talk about rebranding womanhood. We want to give honor and thanks to our senior pastor, Pastor Eric Mason, for this vision and for the invitation, for the invitation to be on the panel today and to share some words. So we are not going to delay so we can faithfully use our time. And I'm going to toss our first question to Sister Amanda Baker. All right. So Amanda. <laughs> How is womanhood branded in the world, and who are the greatest influencers shaping how women, even Christian women, see themselves? Yeah. Um, when I thought about this question, I thought about that there are so many ways in how womanhood is branded in the world, but one thing specifically that came to mind was this idea of the modern woman, right? So in our culture, we see it on social media, in many platforms, but the modern woman is ultimately the woman that has autonomy over her life, right? So she's able to control her own destiny, right? She makes her own choices. She makes her own money. She don't need no man. Um, and she just carves out kind of her own destiny. Um, she can be a mom, she can be an entrepreneur, whatever season, she's in many different seasons of her life. So that's one way that we see womanhood branded. And then just another, I kind of mentioned it, but just having ownership and autonomy over um, anything, and anything, that, anything and everything that we do as women. Um, as far as greatest influencers, um, I kind of thought about personal influences, like our moms, our aunties, our godmoms, our spiritual moms, our mentors. Those are positive. Um, social media influences can be positive, right? Um, but then we have 
podcasters. We have IG and TikTok big influencers. We have celebrity culture, which is still a big part of how we are influenced, um, that are all shaping women in the culture. Not And Christian women, we're, we're listening to these podcasts. Um, we had a brief conversation and I was just sharing. Um, I know some of y'all know the Carisha Please podcast. Maybe you've heard of it. Um, but Carisha uh, introduced her podcast this summer and really she is discipling women and men. She's talking about how, telling us how we live our lives. She's telling us what to do in relationships, in our career, with our money, and um, mental health. So there's so many topics that she brings to the table in her podcast that are toxic, right? They're not what we should be following. So those are some of the things I think about. Thank you. Anyone else? Uh, yeah, just want to add, and I think Amanda touched on it, is that this is a really, I think, confusing time to be a woman um, because of all these voices, right? That anybody can become an expert on social media just by being popular, right? You don't even have to have anything to say. Um, people just become their own self-appointed experts. You don't know where they're getting their ideas of truth from. Um, and I think that we have to just be really careful to make sure that whatever we're doing, realize that it's noise. And sometimes, you know, like you listen to enough noise, it's like in your house, if you play the radio all day, it becomes like white noise. That you don't even realize that you're hearing something. But with so many of these things that we're in a culture where we're getting advertisements, we're getting social media. And the thing that I think is really insidious about it is that it's so personalized now, right? That algorithms really, like you may have a question about relationships or something that is on your heart or about fitness and social media and Instagram will send you people to disciple you in that way. You don't know who these people are. You don't know what they're doing. And it becomes persuasive. Like you, you see one thing that sounds like it makes sense. There was this happened to me recently. I heard someone like, oh, that kind of makes sense. And then because the person is not a believer and rooted in truth, by the next post, it was something crazy, right? And so we just have to be careful about the noise and about who we give our hearts to as experts. Because you're listening and being discipled by people all the time especially about what it means to be a woman. That was good. Um, you're right. <laughs> I'm like, is my phone listening to me? Because it's scary. Um, when I think about the question how womanhood is branded in our world, um, I think about the fact that womanhood is branded as strong. It's branded as independent, like Amanda shared, the, um, the autonomy. It's resilient despite unequal institutions, you know, we definitely need to acknowledge the fact that historically, you know, there have been things put in place to oppress women and undermine our worth and our value and make us feel less than, um, but womanhood, womanhood is definitely seen as like rising above, right? That still I rise, that's very famous, you know, or yes, she can, or yes, I can. Um, uh, all those, um, yet she persisted, right? Those slogans, those phrases that we hear in our culture, those things are all what is branding womanhood. Um, it's entrepreneurial. Everybody named grandma got a business. I got a small business. Come on and check me out. Uh, <laughs> my cash app, just joking. <laughs> um, you know, we're hardworking, we're go-getters. Um, 
we also say that I don't want to be rescued and I don't need to be rescued. I said in the earlier service that um, I grew up on Disney, okay? Uh, I was all about a whole new world and Jasmine and Princess Ariel and all that. And that was so much so the norm of like, you need your Prince Charming to come in and rescue you, but not today. You know, you better not catch a movie or something getting dropped that shows a woman as the weaker one who's a damsel in distress. We are going to cancel that quick in our culture. Um, so womanhood is definitely branded as we are not going to be rescued. I'm going to rescue myself. Um, it's also sometimes perceived and branded as being rebellious against men or oppressive manhood, rising against it, shaking its fist at that. Um, I'm going to be heard and seen. I'm going to stand out in spite of and in the midst of what's going on. That's really good. You want to say something, Mary? Okay, all right. Uh, so, Dr. Tiffany, I'm going to um, pass this question to you. In light of what we just talked about in question number one, I want us to consider in our culture, and for good reason, we've talked a lot about toxic masculinity, right, and what that means and how that impacts women and the world. But I'm really wondering if there is such a thing as uh, toxic femininity. And if so, what does that look like and how does that show up in the world? Amen? Amen. <laughs> we're going easy today on questions, I see. We, we're, not, questions. We're, not, we're not trying to go anywhere at this. So when we talk about, for those that aren't, I mean, it's a buzzword, right? Our culture, again, that's another way we get influenced by these phrases. Toxic masculinity, which has is a concept describes the ways that expectations from men can sometimes breed unhealthy and unhelpful characteristics and behaviors, right? Things like overly aggressive and unable to express emotion, like men can't cry, things like that. Um, but absolutely, there are ways that we see in our culture that femininity, the gift that God has given us as women, one of the many gifts, um, can also be distorted. Really, anytime we are looking to culture and society to validate who we are as women and acting on that, that's what breeds toxic behaviors. And so I was just thinking of, and this is not exhaustive at all, but I actually went on and, and jotted some things down, like how does that manifest? How have I even manifested some of these things in our lives? Like things like using femininity or feminine qualities to be manipulative instead of influential. Getting what you want using your wiles as a woman. Um, that's something that's toxic. I think another way it manifests is in the idea that the things of God are for men. And so as a woman, I'm gonna dumb down. Whether it's spiritually, whether it's professionally, socially, all of that, that's toxic. By seeing your value in what you do, and what you can produce. So whether that is what you do and produce in the home, whether that's what you do and produce as a boss chick at work, that your value comes from that. And so you treat everything with that, that everything else has to then be under the guise of what you do and not who you are and who God created you to be. That women, other women, that you're in competition with women, right? It's like the bachelor culture, right? Where you're always, every woman that you see is your competitor, not your sister, not a fellow image bearer. It also sets you up to be competitive against men, 
right? It sets you up that you're not here to co-labor with men. You're not here to work with and to help men. You are here instead to get yours and usurp male authority. Um, it also stems and manifests in the way that women see ourselves because of the influences that Courtney and Amanda were talking about with social media and things like that. Women are told that the most important and significant things about us are external. It's how you look. It's what you dress. It, that it's not what the Bible says about who you are inside and who you should be, but it's about what you can show and what your body is really what is most important to you. And whenever we act on any of these things as truth, and we may not even articulate it, that I think a lot of times we're functioning as if these things are true, although we probably say, no, I don't believe that. But I think this is a good time for us to think about the toxic ways that we have ingested cultures, ideas about womanhood over what God says. Amen. Did you want to say something, Mary? Okay. So when I was, when I was thinking about that uh, question, I Googled um, womanhood. And you know, I was kind of nervous as to what Google would bring up. And an article um, came up, and it was one of the first uh, articles that popped up on Google, and it's called The Idea of Womanhood, and it's published by a group called QNet. And this is what it says. Raise fierce women, loud women, angry women, strong women, and women who take charge of their body, their individuality, and their agency. Raise women to let them be what they want to be, and own their minds, hearts, and bodies. And I feel like that phrase is exactly an example of toxic femininity because it goes against God's word. It's a perversion of who God designed me to be. I should be fierce. Absolutely, I should be fierce. And I should do... I should be fierce and I should do whatever God has assigned me to do wholeheartedly and full of passion. However, I should be the individual that God created me to be within the community. It's not just an autonomous thing. The word says, whatever I, in Colossians chapter three, verse 17, whatever I do, do as unto the Lord. And I like how one translation says, whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to him through God the Father. That verse in Colossians comes after a whole litany of verses. Verses that talk about how God has saved me from darkness. Verses that talk about how he has erased my debt. How he has raised me from spiritual death to spiritual life to be with him in glory. How I'm saved from the wrath of God so that I should put away the deeds of the flesh. Sexual immorality. I should put away impurity. I should put away lust. I should put away evil desire. Greed. And I should walk instead in compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with each other, forgiving others the way that Jesus has forgiven me of everything. And so that in response to what Jesus has done for me, I then do everything in word and deed as a representative of Christ. Amen. So. Amen. So I have to ask myself what I'm doing, what I'm saying, am I representing Jesus? 
If I give a person a piece of my mind because they've called me out my name, am I representing the God of the Bible? If I decide to leave my husband because I have an attraction to um, another man or woman and I want to see where that attraction goes, am I representing the God of the Bible? If I learn about somebody who has fallen in the church and I go throughout the church with gossip, tearing that person down, am I representing the God of the Bible? Go ahead. If someone trolls me online and I cuss them out without using cuss words now because I'm saved, <laughs> am I still representing the God of the Bible? So in my femininity, which God has given to me because I'm a woman, am I representing the God of the Bible? Uh -huh. Amen. Amen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Amen. Um, the only thing I would add really quickly um, as an umbrella thing that I'm seeing in the culture around what could represent a form of toxic femininity um, it's back to what uh, Courtney was mentioning earlier, I think Dr. Tiffany as well, that yes, there has been in our world oppression of women, there's been misogyny, there is misogyny, there is sexism, there is rape culture, there are tons of things that um, defame the imago Dei that women possess and women have had to contend with that for centuries and even today, but I do believe that in response to being injured and wounded, uh, women have developed a mentality of entitled immunity. And what I mean by that is because I've been hurt, I feel like I get a pass for my own sin. Because I've been injured, I don't tolerate anyone addressing concerns about my own character, about my own walk with the Lord, and you make it your life mission to only expose the oppression and never your own sin. And so that person who has been wounded, that has you know this entitlement to immunity, never makes room in their life for the word to penetrate and do surgery on their own heart. And I think as women, we have to own that, you know, yes, we're finding our voice. Yes, we, we have the resources and the means and the groups to address a lot of things that are wrong in the culture, but God is still saying, take the log out of your own eye so that you can see clearly how to remove the log in someone else. All right, so in the interest of time, I'm gonna compress two questions. I'm gonna start with you, Courtney. But I want to know, we're supposed to be rebranding womanhood. We're supposed to be thinking about what does the Bible teach us about how we're supposed to see our womanhood. So I want to kind of throw that question out as well as get us thinking, what does it look like to even be godly, right? And what are some of the things about being a godly woman we struggle with? So however the panel wants to address those two. If, um, if we're going to do our part in helping to rebrand um womanhood, we obviously need to start with God's word and what he, the grand designer of womanhood and women, of what he has laid out. Um, and so I think about how Jesus dealt with women and specifically if you think about from John 4, the passage where Jesus encounters the Samaritan woman at the well and just their interactions, we can learn a lot about how 
womanhood can be rebranded. And so Jesus, he encounters her. And if you think at the time of day when she was um, at the well, it was noon, like our time noon. So you might gla like just glaze over that. But if you're taking your time to look in the text, it's like, hold up a minute. That's not normal for women at that time of history because women they would go in groups together early in the morning when it's cooler and they would you know do their thing at the well get the water water the animals whatever um but this woman in particular no she came later alone she was isolated so you might be thinking okay what's going on there and we find out later on in the text but at one point the woman was actually surprised that jesus spoke to her the scriptures even say that phrasing like she was surprised and because the history between the Jewish people and the Samaritans was really fractured there was a lot of beef basically they didn't like each other and so she knew Jesus was a Jew and she's like why is he talking to me uh, <laughs> but Jesus he honored her identity as a woman by speaking to her he didn't just race past her he didn't just ignore her and act like she wasn't there but he stopped he slowed down and had a whole conversation with her so he honored her dignity as a woman even though in that time you know the relationships between men and women that just wasn't the norm Jesus also told her that he knew about her. He knew her whole situation. She had had five husbands, and the one that she was with right now was not a husband. And, you know, that goes back to some of the scorn that she was undergoing with being isolated from the other women. You know, she, you know, there's a reputation. If you out here sleeping around and have all these men, but they aren't your husbands, you're going to have a mark on you in that way, in that society. So Jesus, he wasn't afraid to engage her brokenness. He didn't like withhold himself. He didn't like, oh, she, mm. he didn't do that. He, he showed love for her. But not only that, he also called her to a greater mission after they had their conversation. And this is a conversation when he talks about the fact that I'm the living water. If you drink of me, you'll never thirst again. Later on, he equips her to go out and do missional work because she goes into the town and she tells about her encounter with this man who is not just a man. And it says that the people from the town, they come out to see about him and a lot of them end up becoming believers. So Jesus really shows us how to rebrand womanhood. Amen. 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 Praise God. Yeah, if I could just add, um, I just love that phrase of Jesus not afraid of our brokenness, but just thinking about creation, right? Like when God created us as women, what are the things that we learn from scripture? And we learn that women are life givers, Eve, the mother of the living, that that is part of who we are as women, um, that we were created to be the suitable helper for a man, that we are called alongside men as a major part of God's redemptive plan, right? Like this is who we are. That, that is our starting point and that we can think about other places in scripture where we learn about who we are. And I think as a woman that this is so much of what the culture is speaking against, but to remember that we were appointed for good works, which is what John teaches us, that we're royal, right? And which we hear from first Peter, that we're beloved. How many times has God called us beloved? Um, and I also think about the struggles, if I could speak honestly, particularly as a single woman, that when I read that part of our mandate is to be life givers, I think that I automatically, early in my walk as a Christian, thought that that was just something biological. 
Um, but if you reduce life giving, and that's for those who are single and for those who have biological children or are raising children, if we reduce it to that, we miss God's greater kingdom purpose. Um, and so for me, I think it's sometimes difficult. I remember I went on this long journey about, okay, I'm single, I'm not bearing children. What, what does being a woman mean for me? I think I'm probably not alone in asking that question. Um, and one of the places over this journey of God teaching me um, and going to his word for answers um, instead of seeking out these other voices, I'm actually glad that I was going through this process when social media didn't even exist because I'm afraid of what kind of answers I might have found, honestly. Because I think that's what social media is. Like People are going there with questions, and there's always somebody to answer you. They're just not answering from truth. But one of the places where God led me um, over the years is to Mary Magdalene, which may seem strange. Um, I had erroneously perceived, and perhaps some of you did as well, that I thought she was someone who was a prostitute or something like that. And I realized that's nowhere in scripture, that that instead is something that culturally, toxically has been imposed on her. And I started trying to figure out, well, why? Like, why did I have this impression? And what we learn about Mary Magdalene is that she was a woman with a past, just like all of us in here on this stage are women before Christ with a past, that she was delivered from seven demons. Who knows how many demons I may have been delivered from, right? That we don't think in that way, but seriously, right? Like that doesn't disqualify her from service from God. We also, she's never mentioned um, as having a husband that other women in the Bible, they'll say the wife of someone or whatever. She's never connected in that way. Um, and so historically we believe that she was not married. But one thing we do learn in Luke 8 is that she, alongside other women, were those who were supporting, and it says very distinctly, out of their own means, the work of God. And part of that, that really stuck with me. And part of why, you know, it was almost as if Mary Magdalene was so devoted to Jesus that people in their carnal minds were like, oh, well, this must be romantic. There are even rumors that she was romantically involved with Jesus. It's like, no, this is a woman, a single woman who had means, who devoted her life so scandalously to God that it had people questioning. She was so devoted to God and that she gave of what she had. So that whole myth of, as a single woman, I can do what I want. Um, I mean, that's, that's really the thing. Like, you got your own money. You ain't got to worry about no kids. You ain't got to answer nobody. Just do you. That's, that's, a, that's an avenue. But I choose instead to follow the Mary Magdalene way of devoting my life, my time, my resources to God. And so I think there are models for all of us in womanhood whether or not we define it, which I think is actually toxic to define womanhood solely in terms of biological motherhood terms, because that's just not where God defines us. But for all of us, single and married alike, to understand that our call to be mothers, our call to bear life, instead of trying to get our lives to bear life, is well beyond the narrow constraints of biological motherhood. Praise God. Amen. Um, the other question you mentioned was what characteristics of godliness as a, as a woman are found in scripture that women struggle with the most? Um, 
One of them is uh, having that gentle and quiet spirit. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Well, if any of you know me, you know the Nigerian in me is strong. And I am not quiet. <laughs> um, so for years, I struggled with what does it mean to be gentle and quiet? Because God, I mean, just because you're Nigerian doesn't mean you're loud. <laughs> but I am. <laughs> and for some reason, so are my family members. But anyway, <laughs> um, like, God, you made me like this. So what does it mean? So when I began to dig into what does it mean to be gentle and quiet, um, it doesn't mean being a quiet doormat. Instead, it means that I walk in humility. Even as God causes me to use my voice, I'm walking in humility with patience and with love for others. How do I apply that in a society that gives me freedom of speech and tells me that I can say and do what I want? Ironically, that's as long as it goes with what culture wants, but that's a whole other story. Um, but one thing is that when something rubs me the wrong way, I can be quick to listen and slow to anger. Another um, example of something that women struggle with is purity. And that's not just for the single, that's for the marrieds too. Um, the, body, the, body, the Bible says that my body is not my own. It belongs to God. So for the single, that means I keep myself pure and I'm not sleeping with someone just because I have needs. For the marriage, and, and, and there's more to purity than that because it's not just, it has a lot to do with your mind, what I listen to, what I look at, all of that matters. For the married, it means that I should be having physical relations with my husband because my body doesn't belong to me, it belongs to him. <gasps> what does God say about that? And his body doesn't even belong to him, it belongs to me. Amen. What a phenomenal idea. Right. That all falls under purity because when I do it God's way, something wonderful happens. Another thing that people struggle with, and hold on to your seats, ladies, Submission and obedience. All right, all right. Those are some ugly words. Talk about <laughs> So in First Peter chapter 3, this is something that feminists and other people are like, how dare God say such a thing? Um, but woman is called the weaker vessel. Does that mean that I am less than a man? Now let's just take Bible. Remember when pa Pastor E was saying how a couple weeks ago how we gotta like struggle with the whole word, even the things that feel uncomfortable? Well, the fall happens because Eve chose to believe the servant and Adam listened to her. The fact that Eve's choice caused the most cataclysmic event in history yeah should show us that women and their choices matter. Yes. The choices of women matter greatly. Yes. After Adam and Eve, I do love the fact that even though our choices do matter greatly, and the most cataclysmic event happened because of a bad choice, God also used the choice of a woman to redeem mankind. Amen. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 through 15, after Adam and Eve sinned, 
and God was dealing with their sin, he promised that the woman's offspring would bring redemption. He didn't say to the serpent, the man's offspring. I love God. <laughs> he said the woman's offspring would bring redemption. Then in Luke chapter 1, we see another woman's choice cause that same cataclysmic event that Satan thought, you know, he had done, you know, he had done his thing and we were done. Mm -mm -mm -mm. God said this woman's choice will upend all of that. Mary, and this is what's so crazy. Mary was a virgin, chose to be obedient to God and follow what he wanted her to do even though she knew that her being pregnant without marriage could lead to her being ostracized, losing her fiance, because it's not 2022 when she was pregnant with Jesus, <laughs> or even possibly death. She didn't, she may have felt some type of way about what people felt about her, but she didn't worry about it. Instead, she entrusted herself to God. She believed him and chose to follow his will, even though she knew no one would believe she didn't have sex. Then we see Jesus, her offspring, but also fully God on Golgotha's hill, on a cross, redeeming mankind. Amen. And the English major in me, y'all bear with me a little bit. I promise you I'm going somewhere. <laughs> Notice something. I hope you indulge me. The writer said in the Gospels, that the hill called Golgotha was shaped like a skull. Do you remember in Genesis chapter three, when God said that her offspring will, to the serpent, he said this, her offspring will crush or strike your head. How about the cross was on a hill shaped like a skull, reminding us, isn't God awesome like that? He is the ultimate writer, okay? <laughs> reminding us of what he said, that the woman's offspring would bring redemption. Amen. Praise God. Yes. Amen. Really quickly, I know we have to move. I just was going to add a thought that I personally have went through, but the idea that what women struggle with is, is Christ enough? Like, truly, is he enough? Dot, dot, dot for any season, any circumstance. And it reminded me of um, a scripture that I'll just look at, excuse me. Um, it was Colossians, I believe, Colossians 2 verse nine. And it talks about, one moment, so sorry, technology. Oh, it says Colossians 2 verse nine through 10. For in Christ, all, full, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have brought, been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. And really just reminding, it's a daily, daily renewing of the mind um, for women to really just recognize that, yes, he is enough, yeah. but it's hard, <laughs> you know? Um, I would say, I think a struggle that we as women may not even be aware of is how consuming... Um, it is when we elevate our gender almost to a godlike status. I didn't have a chance to share this in the first um, service, but um, it's real. Even if you see nowadays people's signature on their email, you know, the she slash her, you know, like we reduce ourselves, like that's the pinnacle, that's the epitome of who I am. I am, 
like my gender is above all other things and we exalt it in that way. But if we look at Colossians 3.28, where Paul is writing to the church, excuse me, is it Colossians 3.28? Hold up. Well, I will paraphrase it because I have it turned to the wrong spot in my Bible, but basically he talks about the fact that there is neither male nor female, right? Excuse me. Oh, Galatians 3.28, thank you. Um, yes, there's neither male nor female, right? So in Christ, it's not saying that, like, it doesn't matter that Dr. Sarita is a woman. It doesn't say that. But at the end of the day, we need to exalt Christ, and he is all-encompassing, just like Amanda said, is he all are all, is he enough? And I know in my life, there are times where I think through, like I see myself as a black woman, I see myself as a mother, I see myself as a wife, I see like those things matter to me and I can, if I don't, you know, check myself, I can really exalt that as my in all, be all, my meaning. Even when you meet someone, usually after you get through the pleasantries, what's the first question they ask you? Like, what do you do, right? You know, and so for me, I have struggled at times like, well, what do I do? <laughs> you know, and but it's like, no, I'm more than just my gender. I'm more than my she slash her. Uh, I'm, I'm in Christ. And that is enough. Just like Amanda said. Amen. Um, I really just want to quickly say, because one of the original questions that s some of the ladies have definitely touched on was like, how do we represent womanhood? We're not coming up with anything new. We're really going back to the source to make sure we don't miss it. And so when you go to Genesis, there are several key things that I think we just are like Christian women sometimes, but we don't know that the creator of the universe made us very intentionally. And he said some very specific things about what it means to be a woman. Number one, he said that he created them both male and female right, as image bearers in the image of God. I said earlier that man, the name Adam, Adam is not just the man's name, but it represented the humanity, both the gender, male and female. And that from the beginning, both man and woman had inherent dignity and equality. He called the woman to be a co-regent, that she was supposed to rule and reign and have dominion over the earth along with the man. That's very, very important, right? Yes, she's called to be a helper, but not hamburger helper, right? That's, that's like a military term. God himself calls himself the helper of his people, that without the help, the battle is not able to progress and be fulfilled. Like, that is not a small thing. Women should own that and feel good about it. And one of the other things I just want to highlight is that it's inferred in the text that one of woman's superpowers that God gave her was the power of influence. Come on, women, we have the power of influence. And we see it first in Genesis in a negative form, right? So Eve used her superpower negatively, but all of that got redeemed. How do we know she had that power? The Bible says that God told Adam that he is not to eat from this tree or he will surely die. But then a few verses later, the word of God says, Eve gave the man the fruit and he did eat. That's influence. So the question is, the, the thing that I want to empower women with is how are you using your influence? And is your influence under the control of the spirit? Or are we using our influence in a way that brings glory to ourselves and not God? Brings glory to the kingdom of darkness, but not God. Amen.
Amen. So the next question I want us to uh, deal with, we're going to kind of compress some of these, but you know, what are some of the challenges of uh, engaging women in the local church today? And what encouragement do you have for them so that they can flourish as godly women? So if we could answer both of those at once. I think the biggest thing is that we want a magic pill. Um, we want some magic potion or we want to learn from someone else's experience instead of doing the hard labor of the hard work of laboring before God in prayer and digging in the word for ourselves to find out what God has to say about our situation. I don't know if you remember, probably don't, Dr. Sarita, this was like years ago. And I don't know what I was talking about. I was frustrated about something. And um, I was about time and spending time in the word. And you were just giving me different examples. And I kind of like bristled. Maybe you noticed, maybe you didn't. <laughs> but I bristled in myself like, well, I know I got to read my Bible. I know I got to spend time with God. <laughs> but that was exactly what I needed to do spend time with God so that I could hear from him about what I was supposed to do with the situation. And I remember something was floating on Facebook for a while. Uh, and it's like, yo, when I'm struggling with this, and it was talking about wanting to, with purity, basically, don't tell me to go read my Bible and pray. However, <laughs> if we would truly pray and read our Bibles, we would find out that what God says to do about the situation. For instance, he says, flee temptation. That means if I'm being tempted, I don't sit in the front of temptation <laughs> and expect that I'm going to be all right. I should run from it and, and then ask my father for help to deal with it. Amen. So the biggest part, the hardest part, one of the hardest things of working with women, people who are believers who want help, is that we don't want to do the hard work of praying and digging in the word for the answers God has for us. Amen. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with that. I think another challenge of engaging women um, in church is piercing through all these voices that we're talking about, right? The whole reason we have this rebrand. Um, it, it's amazing that we will go and listen to some Instagram quote-unquote expert rather than seeking counsel from wise, godly women whose lives you see and know, right? These one-dimensional people on Instagram, we find the people that basically tell us the things we want to hear. And so hearing things that we may not want to hear but are good for us to hear, I think makes it challenging. Um, and another thing I would say, too, um, for many women, I think particularly in the kind of marketplace, is that we're doing a lot of code switching. And you know, we talk about code switching in terms of racial dynamics, right? Like I don't talk to my students the way I talk to my homegirls kind of thing. And there's a safety in that. But I think we need to be careful about not Christian code switching. And what I mean about that is that biblical womanhood isn't just for when you come to Epiphany. Come on. It isn't just when you come to Salt. It isn't just when you're talking to your Christian friends and then your Christian woman, but you go to work and act the fool and act in ways that are not becoming of women. Jeez. I think that's part of what a lot of women, and I, I, I did struggle with this myself because the things that are validated in my workplace are not the things that God always validates. And there come times when you have to 
make decisions, right? Do I do it the way my profession does? You know, I, I, many of us are in cutthroat professions where you cut folks down, where you undermine people to get ahead. And as godly women, that's not what he calls us to, whether we're in church or whether in the workplace. And I have taken stands and done things that people thought were foolish. I remember when I was coming up for promotion and people told me how I'm supposed to do this. I'm supposed to manipulate people, et cetera. And I said, I'm gonna do my work and trust God. And that became a joke, right? The way you all, amen, you know, that's nice here in Epiphany. I say that in the circles where I work, people said, oh, you're crazy, you're never gonna get it. And whether I got it or not, this is the other thing I had to tell them too, God did bless that. But you also have to take the L sometimes for Jesus. Sometimes doing what is right isn't gonna do it. And I think that becomes a struggle, particularly as women, where in our workplaces we're taught, you know, boss chick this and run this and all that. And then we see something different. And so I think we have to really understand that this whole kingdom work is bigger than even church, right? It's bigger than who we are on Sunday. It's the way God has called us to live. And so I just want to encourage us, and that's why we need each other, right? Like, so that, you know, talk to your sister in Christ about like, wow, I have this decision to make, but I want to do it in a way that honors God and honors God making me a woman. How do I do that? So I would just say, let's, let's stop code switching and confusing ourselves. Amen. Amen. Want to say any encouragement for women? I would encourage, um, so my husband, Curtis, Pastor Kurt, I don't call him Pastor Kurt, y'all. <laughs> um, but to y'all, Pastor Kurt, um, he and I serve over the marriage ministry, and if I can just share my heart and passion to specifically the wives or those who desire to be married, um, I hear often, I see it often, I mean, even in, at times in my own marriage, I see it. Um, try to creep his ugly head, but you know, we don't have to be in competition with men. Uh, we don't have to, um, you know, hold it close to the chest and, you know, keep an extra spare in our back pocket and be suspicious and specifically wives, our husbands, like we are not getting the short end of the stick to do it God's way when it comes to submission and when it comes to obeying the Lord and following our husband and letting him lead. Um, no, there's protection in that. I mentioned that earlier. There's so much protection, just like Dr. Sheeta beautifully laid out. Like, how much differently would this world look if Eve would have believed God and the protection that she really had falling in line underneath not only her husband's leadership, but God's leadership? So just to encourage the wives, you know, we have a voice and God wants us to use our voice to support our husbands and make our homes a, a place where there is harmony and there's so much beauty that we can pour into our children as they see our examples. And so I just really want to encourage the wives because I know the enemy wants to be out here lying to us and thinking, oh man, well, what do I have to lose? But no, you have so much more to gain. The person who tries to save their life is ultimately going to lose their life, whereas the one who loses their life will save their life. So I just really want to encourage the women. Amen. Praise God. Um, I would just, so many things we could encourage women with. Um, one of the main things I just want to say is to sit at the feet of Jesus and to make him the primary relationship in your life. And sitting at the feet of Jesus is not passive, but in our world, you know, as what Mary was bringing up, make it your business to study the word of God. 
Make it your business to know God. We often want to know and be known by so many other people. And I just think sometimes God looks at us, you know, with open arms like, I wish you wanted me the way you want them. I wish you wanted what I have for you the way you want that. And that we would delight in God. Like the Lord literally revolutionizes and changes our lives when we sit at his feet. When we get off of fast food devotionals and we stop scrolling for one minute sermonettes and you didn't even hear the whole thing because some of that stuff on there is wild if you hear the whole thing that we stop getting counseled and preached to based on self-esteem messages just to make us feel good versus be good I pray that we pick up our cross and follow hard after God when the story of Mary and Martha is told in scripture Martha is in the kitchen, basically like, Jesus, get Mary, tell her to come up in here and help me clean. We didn't cooked all this food, and she's sitting at your feet chilling. And here's the thing why that matters to me. So many women in the world think that their value is in what they do versus who they are and whose feet they sat at. And Jesus lovingly, compassionately, I'm sure, responds to Martha and he says, Martha, Martha. Now, you know when Jesus say your name twice. <laughs> he says, Martha, Martha, you were worried about many things. But Mary, sitting at his feet, has chosen the greatest portion. And that will not be taken away from her. <laughs> so sit at God's feet. It's the greatest portion. And that's how you learn who you are. And that's how you learn to define womanhood according to the scripture, not revising it. It's not oppressive. To be a godly woman is the most freeing, liberating thing in the world. And don't you let these people in this world tell you different. Carry your cross and stand strong for God. I implore women of God to be soldiers in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, let's just pray. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, God, I thank you for this time. I thank you for each woman who's labored in your word, who's studied, who's prepared to pour out. I pray for all the women under the sound of my voice, specifically the women from the youngest to the oldest, that she would root her identity in you, that she would go to her creator, the one who drew woman from a rib of a man and formed her in his image. I pray, Lord God, that the words of scripture will not just be suggestions, but it would be the path to life. It would be our rule book, our playbook for life and godliness. I pray in the name of Jesus here at Epiphany and people who are watching that you would raise up strong, godly women to be soldiers in the Lord's army. That we would say like David, who is this uncircumcised Philistine who would dare defy the God we serve would we talk to culture that way and would we walk in love and gentleness and humility would we walk in strength would we walk in godly purpose and God would you breathe on us anew like if any heart is bowed down if there's any weary woman 
Would you lift her? Would you be the lifter of her head? Would you, Jesus, become the lover of her soul? And we thank you for godly men. We thank you for men going hard after the word, pursuing you, Jesus. Lord God, would we be a community that locks arms together, not in competition, but in solidarity as brothers and sisters in Christ, that we might truly show off the glory of Jesus Christ in every area of life. We thank you. Amen. Amen, amen. Let's praise the Lord for this women's panel today. Um, the, uh, the beauty of this, I think, is, is this wasn't just for women today. This is for men as well. We both have to know what it means to be a biblical woman, to be a biblical man, so that we can uh, conform our lives to the image of Christ. So I want to thank them for pointing us to the word, for staying in the word. And uh, all our questions go to the Word of God where all the answers are. Uh, as you stand now, we're going to uh, uh, receive the sacrament. The, uh, our communion, I think uh, our hospitality staff is passing around. If you haven't received um, the uh, communion, please raise your hand. So the big uh, pass out to you, please raise your hand. As we wait for them to do that work, uh, Paul gives a rebuke and correction in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 to the church. They were kind of wilding out in the way they did communion. They were divided. The body was divided. Uh, they were divided in practice uh, and in spirit. And uh, he told them to examine themselves, examine themselves, right? It's important for us to know that we belong to him, that we've repented, we've given our life to Christ. Uh, so I'd ask if you haven't trusted Christ as your Savior that you let the cup pass, uh, but instead you uh, receive our Lord Jesus Christ. And you can see someone about that uh, as, you, as we leave. Uh, look for a leader for that. Um, but he said, examine yourselves so that you be worthy. You don't uh, uh, drink, drink and uh, basically commit sin, right, in doing that. So it's important for us to do that. He also reminded them that on the night our Lord Jesus was betrayed, that he brought his, uh, his 12 disciples to him. He took the bread, he blessed it, and he broke it. And he said, this is my body. It represents my body. As often as you eat it, eat it in rem remembrance of me. Let's eat together. Then he took the cup. And he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink it, drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink together. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we just, uh, we thank you, Lord, for your sacrifice on the cross for us. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for uh, not thinking it uh, something you should commit to over us, your position in the Godhead, but you gave it all up in the position of a servant, Lord. You died not only death, but a humiliating death on the cross uh, to reconcile us to you. So we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for this opportunity to, uh, to celebrate you uh, through this holy sacrament. We pray, Lord, that you would uh, uh, keep us Lord, that you would bless us and we'll walk away uh, brand new in the newness of your blood. Uh, now receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Go in peace.
Hello, this is Dr. Eric Mason, founder of Pastor of Epiphany Fellowship. Thank you for tuning in today. Hopefully the word of God was a blessing to you. Also, if you want to help us build the kingdom from Philly and beyond, particularly in inner cities, partner with us today. And if you don't know Jesus as Savior, based on his death, burial, and resurrection, place your confidence in him and go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Tune in next time so we can see you go from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. God bless you. Take care. We love you. We love you.